Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. All right, what's up, Journey Church? How you guys doing today? All right, my name is Ian. I'm typically at Montgomeryville. Uh, so right now, uh, if you don't know, we have another campus in Montgomeryville. If you could, please, they're joining us. Can you clap your hands, make some noise as they join us? What's up, guys? It's good to be here together uh, in church. It's really great to be here uh, and have this opportunity to actually preach during this series, Church for the Ill. Uh, I love it because we have come up with this idea. I know Steve talked about it a couple times, but I remember it vividly. It was 2014. It was a Monday. It was the day after Easter, and we spitfired in this meeting that we had everything, like all these amazing ideas for church for the ill. I'll never forget it. Uh, it came from the idea that I had actually gotten off of a bumper sticker, a window sticker, it was an ill window sticker, uh, on my way from the Easter experience to family's house that day, and I have been uh, waiting, because when we came up with this, we were like, it was amazing, it was the, it was like, we were like, people are going to get saved, they're going to meet Jesus, it's going to be awesome, and then Steve was just like, yeah, but it sucks, and I was like, why, <laughs> we would we just told, we figured all this stuff out. It's awesome. No, what, what was uh, not that good about that time is the fact that the Phillies were not that good. And he was like, we have to wait for the Phillies to get good again. So I've been waiting about 10 years uh, to hear and experience uh, Church for the Ill. Uh, and now not only to be able to hear it, but to be able to have the opportunity from Steve to be a part of it. And then on top of that, on top of that, I get to preach today out of my favorite book uh, and story from the Bible ever, period. Like if, if Steve or if God was like, you only have one thing you can ever talk about, ever, and preach on, uh, right? Um, I would choose this. It's, it comes from the book Luke uh, chapter 15. And within Luke chapter 15, this is the DNA of Journey Church. Like this is, at Journey Church, we exist for those not yet here. That is birthed from Luke chapter 15. If you go to welcome to church night, or if you have been, or you haven't gone yet, you'll hear that we exist for those not yet here. And that is, there's a picture of a man and it's the DNA, it's the veins of us. It's who we are. And it's from Luke chapter 15. And Luke chapter 15, nothing else, I believe, exemplifies the real love that God has for everybody, for his, for his people and I'm going to break it down for you. Luke 15 starts like this. And uh, I'm going to talk about it. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. It's so interesting uh, how they separate tax collectors and sinners. I don't know why they do that, uh, but they're gathering around. And then we see Pharisees and teachers of the law. They separated that. And then they said, it's funny, the Pharisees and teachers of the law say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Because everybody around him at this point actually is a sinner. I mean, if we talk about it, the disciples that are around him, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they were all fishermen. And fishermen were like rough and tough dudes. It was physical, manual labor, right? Have you, have you guys ever watched like The Greatest Catch and watch them out on the waves and tuna? That's like these guys, right? Uh, but they were like, if Joe Rogan had a podcast back then, they would be listening to it and talking about it like all week long with the other dudes on the 
boats as they're fishing. But the thing with fishermen, right, the biggest thing with fishermen is that they were around fish all day. And when you're around fish, you smell like fish. Yeah, exactly. And, and there was no zestfully clean back then. There was no Old Spice, right? There was no Polo Blue to be able to cover the nasty scent of fish. And nobody wanted to be around fishermen. Matthew was there. Matthew was a tax collector. Last week, Steve talked about Zacchaeus, who also was a tax collector. And the Jewish people hated Matthew because he extorted them for their money. He was also hated by the Romans who he worked for because he was a Jew. And nobody liked and or wanted to be around Matthew. Then we have Mary Magdalene. It says that in the Bible, Mary Magdalene, she, she walked with Jesus. She wasn't a disciple, but she was with Jesus all the time because Jesus casted seven demons out of her. Seven demons. If you've seen the exorcism, that girl had one demon in her, right? Like her head spinning around, pukes coming out, people are flying around, bedrooms and stuff like that, right? Seven, seven demons. I had a friend growing up in high school. He dated this girl. She was crazy. And he, he would always say, dude, she was seven shades of crazy, bro. That's how I picture when I read about Mary Magdalene. She was seven shades of crazy. And nobody wants to be around a woman that's seven shades of crazy. Like that's just how it is. I'm sorry if, you have, if you're seven shades of crazy, then t- t- today's the place place where you need to be. That's just how it is. And then the Pharisees were around Jesus. The religious leaders, they were distinguished uh, amongst other people. They were prideful though, and they were ritualistic, and they were super religious people who mostly looked to trap Jesus uh, in a trap. And all of these people together, the, the Pharisees, they didn't want to be around what was called a Gentile. I'm just going to say a normal person, like the fishermen, okay? Jewish Pharisees didn't want to be around fishermen. They didn't want to be around the Jewish people, the religious people, because, you know, they're too good for, for everything. And none of these people actually wanted to be around each other, but they were all around Jesus, and Jesus allowed them all to be around him. And I believe that, that Luke 15, he's talking to all of these different types of people, and he goes into three parables, which is basically... Basically, it's an illustrative story uh, for other people who are around to understand something. Uh, And and what he does is he takes these three stories to really show and exemplify to all those different types of people the real, true love that God has for them. And we get to my favorite parable, which is Luke 15, 11, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And it starts off like this. In Luke 15, 11, it says, Jesus continued because this is actually the second parable of the three. And he says that there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estates. So he divided his property between them. Right? Like first thing, it's the younger son. So typical, right? Like older sons. Can I get an amen? Older kids, first child, you're like, yeah, classic, right? So Of course that's going to happen. But the other thing is you don't do this. Like you don't do this now. It's just not nice. It's not right. You don't go to your parent and be like, hey, let me get my inheritance from you, you know, before you die. But it was even worse back then. Back then that's like spitting in his dad's face. It's like saying, I wish that you were dead. Like he don't care about everything his dad's done for him. He don't care about all the diapers. He doesn't care about the house that was provided for him his entire life. He doesn't care about everything that his dad has done and or provided for him. He's sick of him. He's basically saying, dad, I'm done with you. I'm tired of your rules. I'm tired of your rituals. I'm tired of the stupid things that you say. I'm tired of the dumb jokes that you tell over and over to all the the servants in the house. I'm just sick of it. I'm tired of everything. I'm tired of myself. I'm tired of this town. Give me what you're going to give me and let me leave. And the father obliges. 
it goes on to say, Jesus in the parable and the Bible says, not long after that, the younger son got all together that he had. And then he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I'm going to say that again because people say that the Bible is not relevant. And he squandered his wealth with what? With wild living. After he had spent everything that he had, there was a severe famine in the entire country and he began to be in need. No flipping crap. Like, duh, of course this is going to happen. It's like, it's like watching the scary movie and everybody splits up and you're like, don't do that. And then the guy goes into the room all by himself and he's about to go to the closet. And you're like, don't go into the closet. And guess what? He goes into the closet and it's like, ree, 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 ree. and you're like, oh no, he's dead. Why did you do that? It's like every holiday movie that you're about to watch on Hallmark from now until Christmas, you know what's going to happen. The girl's going to come back to her home small town from the big city where she lived and she's going to bump into the guy who who had a huge crush on her, but she didn't really like him back then because he wasn't really popular. However, he's extremely handsome now, and he helps out everybody in the town. But the problem is, is she wants to like him, but he has no money because he helps everybody else out. But then she falls, she bumps her head, she passes out, she wakes up, has no memory, falls in love with him, only to find out at the end that he actually is rich because he sold an idea that he had based off of his love for her since they were kids. They get married and they live happily ever after in the North Pole. Oh, right there, it's done. You don't gotta watch any more Hallmark movies. You know, you know what's gonna happen as soon as you get to the Hallmark channel. That you know what's gonna happen here. He's gonna waste his money. So he went, it goes on to say, so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Right here in this story is where we're going to land today. And where do we find the son right now? Where do we find him? He's in the worst position possible. He's broke. He has no money. He's alone. He has nobody. He's starving. He's extremely hungry. And I, I don't know if he's homeless. It doesn't say, but I would be able to think and gather that his living conditions probably aren't that good. I always had envisioned him uh, like living in the pig stalls and sleeping in mud with hay as a pillow. But I don't know, it, it could be, he could have been crashing out of Buddy's house on their floor using a pizza box as a pillow with cigarette burns on the rug and it reeks like uh, dirty diapers and bong water. I don't know. Like, I don't know. But I know that where he is, is not good. I, and and I, it's obvious that he had gotten himself here right? Like he made the mistakes. His pride had gotten him there. Definitely his arrogance. But the son finds himself here in this moment at a place that I'm going to talk about today called rock bottom. And I think, I think that rock bottom is different for everybody and can be different for uh, the same person at different times of their life. But I feel like rock bottom can, as you'll find out, it could be bad. Like for some of you, it could be real bad. I mean, maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening, maybe you're at Montgomeryville and maybe you have no friends anymore because you had ruined the trust that you've had with your friends and family because you kept getting in difficult situations and they would let you crash at their house. You stole money, you stole a wallet, you stole objects to sell to be able to afford the fix that you need to get. 
And now nobody is going to accept you anymore. Or maybe, maybe you started gambling, you know, just a little bit for fun, playing some games. You make some money, then you lose a little bit of money, then you make some money, then you lose all of your family's money and your inheritance that you had. And now you have no idea where and how you got there. And maybe life got so stressful for you, right? Kids, family, holidays, everything going on. And you started disconnecting from your spouse. But you started connecting with a friend at the office or out where your kids play sports. You get a little bit too close. Next thing you know, now you're in an affair. Now you're looking at your kids while they're crying, trying to explain to them why mommy and daddy aren't going to live anymore. Maybe that was the most difficult thing that you could possibly see. I don't know. Maybe you started drinking a little bit. Maybe you have a little bit of wine at the end of the night just to kill the edge, right? And then comes a couple glasses, a couple nights a week, a little bit more. Next thing you know, you're losing your patience. You're yelling. You're getting a little bit aggressive. Finally, you get to a point where you've laid hands on your spouse and your kids, I don't know what your rock bottom could be. I know that it's different for everybody. I mean, they used to say different, different strokes for different folks. Everybody's rock bottom is different. Maybe you got to rock bottom and you don't even know how you got here. Like it just happened. One day you woke up, your spouse is like, I don't want to be with you no more. And you're like, well, what did I do? How do I get here? Why, why am I here? You know, maybe you're a teenager, right? You start hanging out with a different group of friends, some guys that you never met before from another town. They seem cool. Next thing you know, you're being sold into sex slavery and you're at rock bottom. You have no idea how you got here. It just happened. Maybe for some of you, rock bottom's not even that deep. Maybe things are crazy at home, are crazy in the office and you're just done with it, right? You're like, I'm tired of no structure. There's no structure and this is it. I am done with it. I'm at rock bottom. You're struggling with a coworker at work. You're done with listening to their crap and, and the stupid things that they say, and you're just done with it. We're talking about rock bottom. It's obviously a difficult place to be. Some would say that this is the most absolute worst place that you can be. And I think that, that when we find ourselves here, whether we have a relationship with Jesus or not, whether we know God or not, when anybody finds themselves in this position, they find themselves asking God, why? Why did he let this happen? If there's a God, why would you let this happen? You find yourself curled up in a ball in the fetal position on the floor, on your hands and knees, hyperventilating, full of anxiety, chest is tight, and you're screaming out, crying out. The time you're like, why, God, why would you let this happen to me? Why would you torture me if you're good and you're real? Why do these things happen, God? Why are you a pissed off kid with a magnifying glass on a sunny day over an anthill? Why do you let these things happen to me? And I wonder the same thing about this dad in the parable. Why didn't the father just say no? Why didn't you let him go? I mean, it's easy. Like, hey, dad, can I get my inheritance now? No. Why? Because you're going to squander in wild living. Like, you're going to waste it all. I'm not giving a, a young kid all of that amount of money. It's stupid. Well, I'm going to leave. Okay, take everything that you don't own because I own everything and good luck right? It's, it's never going to happen. It's easy to say no when you want to protect somebody. I use no like it's a rite of passage in my household. Dad, can I get a pocket knife for Christmas? No. Why? Because I want you to have all of your phalanges by the time that you're 18. That's why. Why well, hate you? You won't when you're 18 and you're all in contact. It's 
easy. You say, no, can, hey, can I go jumping at the quarry with my friends? No. Can I go sleep over at my girlfriend's house? Are there going to be parents there? No. No. It's, it's, it's easy. Can I do something dumb that accidentally, inadvertently ruins my life? No. So if, if God is real and he really cares about me, why would he let us ruin our lives like this? Why would he let us get to a point that is like this? Why didn't the father run to his son? Why didn't he stop him when he was leaving? Why didn't he argue with him or try to persuade him not to go? Because I believe that in this parable, Jesus is showing us that rock bottom isn't something God will keep you from. If you're keeping notes, that's a key thought today. Write that down in your notebook. Uh, if it's on your, your phone and you're on the app, screenshot it, circle it, haze it out, block everything out besides it. Rock bottom is not something God will keep us from. We can have this wrong view of God. Like we think that if God is good and, and, and if we're good and we're doing everything that we're supposed to, then God is going to be good. Or we think that, that if we made some mistakes and we've done bad things, that, that, that we do deserve to get punished. And sometimes no matter what stage of life that we are in or our circumstances that we are facing, God just allows us to go through things that are difficult. Why? I've seen it demonstrated this past fall and football season, as I've had the opportunity to be able to coach my son's uh, football team, it's flag football, it's my oldest son, but it's the youngest ages where you can start playing football. So it's five years old and six year old, kindergarten and first grade. And we started having these camps in the summertime and I watched these parents come to football, right? A place of violence, even if it's flag, like there's violence on the line. And I promise you, some of these five and six-year-olds were violent, right? And the crazy thing about flag football and football is the parents, right? Especially if they're Pottsgrove football parents, because they're nuts. That's, I'm serious. That's a different sermon for a different day. Maybe a whole series. Like, I don't want to talk about it. But no, these parents, right? A lot of them said the same thing as they dropped their kids off to this strange, short, and stocky, bearded man in the summertime, you know, with hopes that they're going to hand them off to this person who they hopefully, you know, has their background checks and did everything that they're supposed to to be around kids, knowing that they're going to get involved in a violent sport with hopes that their kids are going to learn character, with hopes that they're going to learn how to get through difficult circumstances in their life so they can grow up being strong and tough young men and women. And I watched them go through difficult things. Like, I pushed kids. I did. Like, I was like, hey, your parents don't want you guys to be little sissies. You're not going to be little sissies. I'm going to push you. And I did, right? Like, I would have kids in the, in the middle of the season. Our kids were doing 50 push-ups at a time. My coaches, were, they couldn't only do 30, right? The kids out push ups These kindergartners out push ups the adults, right? Like, I was like, come on, guys. Uh, some of those coaches were here earlier, and they were like, oh, dude, whatever. Do, do more push-ups, man, all right? And parents would cry on the sidelines and I would see them get teary-eyed as kids would get hurt on the field or catch a cleat to the face, you know. It's difficult to watch that. But they understood that if they want their kids to reach the goals that, that, that they have, they're going to have to allow them to go through difficult circumstances. And there are some things that you can only learn through difficult circumstances. There are some things that you can only learn at rock bottom. You can learn things at mountaintops and when life's good, like everything is good. You, you can learn it, but there are aspects of God's love 
that can only be understood through life's darkest moments. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the depth, the true depth that, of love that God has for us, the grace and, and love that God has for us, the forgiveness of God's love. You can't fully understand it until you've been through it or until you needed it. Like, there are just some things that you don't understand until you go through it. Again, I will bring up football and or wrestling in any other sport because any other athlete will believe that, that they could just jump in and do wrestling. And it is not the most difficult thing that they'll ever do in their lives. And so many times I had watched other kids in, in high school be like, I'll go out for wrestling, especially basketball players. They were the worst. And sometimes a basketball player will come to a wrestling practice and they'll be like, get three quarters of the way through. They'll be like, bro, dude. And I'll be like, yeah, we told you, man. And they'll go back and tell their basketball player friends. They're like, nah, we can't say nothing no more. Like, it just takes something different to go through it, right? And those, the other friends would be like, yeah, right. You don't know until you go through it. You don't. And today, I would like to give you three things that begin to happen at rock bottom that I think that God wants us to gather from this parable. And the first thing I believe is that, that God knows that rock bottom is the place to begin to build, right? Like practically speaking in here, if you're in construction, you know, before you build any good solid structure, right? What do you need? Come on, I know there's an excavator in here. I'm looking at him right now. You gotta what? You gotta dig down, You got right? You gotta dig down to solid ground, right? And then what do you do? You lay down rock. Right? And then some iron and some cement, which creates more what? Rock at the bottom for a solid foundation to be able to build up on. The Bible talks about, Jesus says in Matthew 7, he talks about two houses being built. The two identical, absolute identical houses, right? Chip and Joanna, beautiful, shiplap everywhere, gorgeous, cool black windows. Absolute identical houses. They look exactly the same. One of them is built on rock, but the other one is built on sand. And the problem is, is when you are built things on sand, right? It ends up crumbling. And I believe that, that so many people have this type of relationship with God. It's just a surface level relationship. It's on sand. It's not down deep, right? You either don't believe in God at all and you have no clue, or you do believe in him, but you don't fully commit to him and you don't give him uh, everything. You don't surrender all of the areas of your life to him and you don't allow him to get down into the deepest fears that you have and the insecurities of your life. And you won't let him into those areas and it is surface deep and there's no strong foundation or maybe your relationship with the Lord is all for show. Not that you don't have a relationship, but you just have to make sure that everybody knows that you have a relationship with the Lord. You know, you wake up every morning, you're like, crap, I have to read my Bible because if everybody doesn't see that I read my Bible today and get my notification that I read it, like, did I actually read it? Did I have a relationship with Jesus? And rather than waking up and be like, I need God today to to get into the, the, the parts of my life right now that I cannot handle and I need him to help me with it and I need it to be a better version of myself and I need to continue to be be more like Christ like and the way to be like him is to have a relationship with him and the way to have a relationship with him is to read his Bible and to spend time with him but rather you wake up and you're like I better make sure that everybody that I know knows that I read the Bible and if I woke up late and I skimmed through it I'll just make a Bible verse for everybody to see and people fail to go deep with the Lord And the problem is, is that when you don't allow him into these areas down into the depths of of the issues and you don't have a solid foundation, when difficult times come, when bad weather arises, what happens? 
Much like a house on sand, you crumble. You fall apart. Your walls tear down. You become undone. You give up. You just turn tail and run away. You get depressed. And without a firm foundation, you just simply sink down. And the son in this parable is experiencing the exact same thing. I believe that, that the son didn't have a firm foundation with his father because he didn't truly understand his father's love. I believe that he had a surface level relationship with his dad. I think that they had a boss and worker mentality relationship. Based off of what you read when you read this parable, you find out a couple of things. He, he goes to his father and he says that he wants what is owed. Later on in the story, you find out about his older brother. The son does come home and we're going to talk about that. Spoiler alert. Uh, but the older son is mad about the son coming home. And he says to his dad, he's like, you never, all these years I worked hard for you. And you never even gave me my own calf. That'll make sense later. He talks about what he worked for and what he deserves, what he is owed. He does something, he should get something. I believe so many people have a relationship with the Lord like that. And I think that the father in this parable, they saw it. They saw it. He saw it. And it broke his heart. Like, I think if you're a parent and you're in here, you can understand. Because I know. I know that if I go, you know, 20, 18, 20 years down the road from now and any of my kids can dead look me in the face and I and say, Dad, I feel like you never really loved me. I would be devastated because I devote my life to them. Like I live for the Lord and I'll lead people to have a relationship with Jesus. That's the first person that I answer to. And then I live for my wife and then I live for my kids. And I love my kids so much, like deep down inside of my heart. You know what I'm saying? And I know any other parent, you know what I'm talking about. That, that, that right in here, that deep passion, that like, even if you're a Christian, the things that you will do to somebody that do something harmful to your child, like, like if he doesn't understand that, it would break my heart. And I believe that, that that is how God is with us. That's how God feels. He hates knowing that there are people that walk around this earth and this planet and, and the towns and this community that don't fully understand his love for them, how much he cares for them. Think about what you love the most, like what you cherish, what you hold tight to, what you will die for. And that is how God feels about every single one person in this world. And he hates thinking that there is somebody somebody or anybody that does not know his real love for them. He hates it. And I believe that rock bottom, our second point, often provokes a place of big realization. And this is, this is where we come to. See, the other area that gets built up from rock bottom right here, in these moments is, is our opportunity to come to what this story says is our senses. It says it, Luke 15, 17, when he comes to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Before this right here, before this situation that he had gotten himself into, this kid was a punk. He was a spoiled brat. His dad was a wealthy landowner and his entire life was handed to him on a silver platter. The people that surrounded him in his life existed to serve him. 
He didn't experience life. He hasn't experienced going out, right? It says that he squandered his wealth in wild living. So when you're squandering and living wild, right? That means that you got a lot of money. Everybody's around, right? Like, you know that. People are there. He never experienced friends who are only there when they want to get something from you. He's never experienced the evils out in the world. He never experienced deceit. He never had to experience the difficult things that people will put you through. He has not gotten eaten up by the world. And it took this point for him to come to this realization in this moment that he had realized that he had messed up. That he was wrong. And now he's all screwed up in the head. And he starts coming to these other things that I call untruthful realizations, right? He thinks that he's unworthy to go back to his dad. He says that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He thinks that he's a slave to his mistakes that he had made. He literally says, make me like one of your hired servants. He wants to go be a slave for his dad. He's a slave to his sin. He thinks that he does not deserve to come home to his dad. I mean, he had to come to this realization. When I got pulled over for my second time uh, getting caught drinking and driving, um, I was looking at getting a second DUI. I'll never forget that night. Uh, I had two friends with me. I left Izzy's bar in Boyertown, PA, and I'm my two best friends, like the closest people that I was with ever at that point in time in my life. They're in the back seat. And I knew, dude, when we got pulled over, I was like, they're done, you know? And I was, I was like, I could just tell. I could tell, you know, by their tone, I could tell how it was. And, and that was it. The cop uh, booked me. My friends got to walk home, thankfully. Um, and they lived kind of close. We were on our way to go get something to eat at the dump. Stupid. Um, but it was my idea. And, and then the cop, you know, took me to, to Reading, booked me. He brought me back home, which was a super nice gesture. The first time that I got pulled over for DUI, they didn't do that. Uh, so that was cool. But it was the next day I called them to, like, you know, make sure everything was cool. And nobody picked up. And I called and called. And, I mean, I, got, I didn't know what ghosting was, but I definitely got ghosted back then. Um, it wasn't like a, a term, I guess. But, uh, but, yeah. And then finally we got to have a conversation, and I just knew, like, I could tell basically what they're saying is like, we can't, we can't be around you, dude. Like they were going places. They went, they both were in college. I went to their college to party. Like they didn't want to be around me. My family most times did not want to be around me because when I would drink, I would become angry, especially if I was drinking Jaeger, uh, which was often and it, it wasn't good. And, and I was in a spot where not a lot of people wanted to be around me at all. And I realized at, at that moment in my life, I was like, dude, you need to do something different. Like, I don't know what is going to happen at this point. But I had to realize. And I was glad because if that never happened, like if I, I would have called them the next day and they would have picked up and been like, yeah, let's go back out tonight. I, I never would have come to that realization. Never. I never would have answered the phone when my friend Donnie Heller called me, who I had once said to him before, I got to separate myself from you or else something bad is going to happen. And he led me to Jesus and told me about Jesus one night. He brought me to Journey Church that following Sunday. And if I never realized that, I never would have came to Journey Church. I never would have accepted Jesus. If I never accepted Jesus, I never would have been around and been on staff at Journey Church. If I wasn't on staff at Journey Church, I probably would have been asked uh, to come get my, uh, save my wife from her cheating husband and help move her out. If I didn't help move her out, she most likely would have never seen my bulky, uh, studly muscles, and she never would have 
fallen in love with me and agreed to marry me. And if it weren't for those, uh, the realization and the bulky muscles and all that stuff, she never would have uh, agreed to having three kids and a fourth one uh, with me and to bring them into the world uh, as well. I wouldn't be here right now had I not realized in this moment that I need something. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And one more thought about rock bottom. That is the most exciting part for me because even though he had these thoughts and these feelings and uh, these untruthful realizations and the actual realizations, uh, he ended up making the greatest decision that he ever made, which was to go uh, back to his father. Where we find that rock bottom is often the birthplace of revelation. Rock bottom is often the birthplace of revelation. Rock bottom is the place for God to reveal his love to us. In fact, we see God reveals the depth of his love to us in, in valleys and, and wilderness of this life. Like when you look all throughout scripture, it's interesting that, that it's in the valleys and the wildernesses that, that represent several things. You see that valleys were often where battles were fought. If you go into the Old Testament, many times when you read about a, a battle that was taking place, the battle was happening in a valley. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're battling in a valley right now. You're in a low spot, really going through it. I mean, valleys were the seasons of desperation. Valleys were, were seasons of loneliness in the Bible. And it's interesting that valleys were also a time of growth. Now, you can enjoy God on the mountains, and, and you can learn things on the mountains, but you experience him in different ways when you're in the valleys. And that's why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.2, it says, it's better to go into a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. It's better to go to a funeral where somebody died than it is to go to Thanksgiving. Because it draws you closer to the Lord. Luke 15.20 goes on to say, but... While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. This is like a loaded sentence right here. There's so many important things here. The first thing that I thought was kind of interesting is Luke 15, 20 uh, is one sentence, but it's split in half. It's split in half. Like earlier, when I gave the Bible verse before this, it said, so he got up and went to his father. That's the first part of 20. So he got up, he went to his father, but, but, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. That's a big but. When it comes to things of the Bible and things of the Lord, I like big buts and I cannot lie. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you can't deny when somebody broken walks up in this place with chains around their waist and the Lord breaks them free and lifts them up and welcomes them into the kingdom of heaven, glory, glory, hallelujah, what a wonderful day that is. Can I get an amen? amen. I like big butts and I cannot lie. Something else that's really important is this is confirmation. In this sentence, there's confirmation that the father has been waiting for his son to come home. He wakes up every day probably and checks the window that looks right down the driveway to see, is my son coming yet? 
probably goes out on the porch most of the day pacing, wondering what's going on. Is my son ever going to come home? Is he doing good? Did he take a Dave Ramsey class on his finances? Is he doing well? Did he become successful as I did? I hope he's not hurting. I hope that he's not going through something extremely difficult. I hope that no matter what, that he is realizing and learning and knowing the love that I have for him. And I'm waiting day in and day out to see him come down my driveway once again so I can reveal to him my love. And that's what happens. And while he sees his son a far way off, he has the opportunity to reveal the love that he has for him. It's so beautifully shown here. He runs to him, he, he gives him a hug and he gives him a kiss and he embraces him. One of the most interesting things here is, is that almost nothing proves this fact more though in the way that he ran to him. And I know that that sounds cool. You're like, yeah, it's cool, man. He ran to him because he missed him. He loved him. That's why it's deeper than that, right? Right here, this is where I believe that Jesus in, in this parable is, I told you, he's teaching to everybody, right? He's talking to the religious leaders and the Pharisees because they knew that Jewish landowners did not run back then. They don't run, period. They just don't run. Not because they can't, but because they don't, because it looks stupid, because they have to pull their dresses up that they're running in and they like shuffle around and it leaves their legs exposed, which if you're a Jewish person, you know that if you expose your legs, it is shameful. It's shameful to expose your legs. Some of you in here, you're like, I get that too. Like, it's definitely shameful to expose my legs, right? Like, I don't skip leg day. My calves won't grow. I don't understand. It's shameful. But it was shameful for them to expose their legs. And I read in this book that explains the prodigal son, breaks it down, uh, that, that if a Jewish son loses his inheritance among the Gentiles, normal people, and then returned home, the community would perform this ceremony called the, the kazaza. It sounds stupid. It probably it was. They, they would break a large pot in front of him and yell, you are now cut off from your people. And the community would totally reject him. So why did the father run to him? He ran because he wanted to get to his son before his son could enter the village. He wanted to shame himself before his son could get shamed. He wanted people to see as he was running. They're like, oh, snap, look at, look at Jim. He's running. His legs are exposed. He's shameful. We better go check out and see what's going on. I bet his son is coming, right? Let's get out there and make sure that he gets shamed. And the father beats everybody so that they would witness the father get to his son. And after an emotional reuniting with the prodigal son, a big old sloppy wet kiss and a hug, the father states that it is clear at this moment that today there will be no kazaza. There will be no rejecting my son despite what he has done, despite what he has been through. Despite the things that he did and said before he left and despite the things that he had done while he was away from me, there will be no kazaza. Will you stand with me, please? Stand with me front to back, side to side, Montgomeryville. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes in this moment? I just want to talk to everybody in an, a non-private environment, but in a private moment. 
I don't know who you are, where you're from in this building in Montgomeryville. Maybe you're listening in a car right now online and this, is, this date has passed. I don't know and I don't care, man. I just know one thing. that If there's anything, anything that you take away from this day, from this, this sermon, from what you've been listening to, if there's anything you take away, it's this moment right here. There's no kazaza today. I don't know who you are, where you're from, what you've been through, what you've done. But I can tell you this, clearly, based off of this parable that Jesus wanted everybody to know in here, it's locked into history forever, is that maybe you've taken a step away from the Lord. Maybe you took a couple away from the Father, not knowing how much he loves you. Maybe you've been through awful things. Maybe awful things have been done to you. Maybe you've done so much to separate you from God. And maybe, maybe you've dishonored God your entire life, right? Somebody who you say that you don't believe in, but you spend so much of your time trying to disprove the fact that he's real. And you don't feel like God wants you and or loves you. And you don't know why you've been what you've been through. You don't know uh, what's been going on. You don't know why it's been allowed to happen. And I, neither do I. But it's led to this moment right here where there is no Kazaza. And I want you to know that it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you've done it with, man, God loves you. He loves you so much, deeply and desperately, and he, he wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to come home this Thanksgiving season. He wants you to open up your arms and to accept him into your heart so that he can forgive you, so that he can love you, so he can provide for you. The, this parable, what happens next, is the father, uh, he, he yells to his servants, get, get the rings, get the coat, get the shoes, clothe him, cover him up, protect him, provide for him. All the while he's saying this, his son is trying to, you know, he's, he's practicing what he recited. He's, he literally, he said, he's like, Father, I sinned against heaven. I sinned against earth. I did all these things, blah, 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 blah. And then literally the father gives no response except for yelling at his servants, go get me a robe. Get me my, my slippers. Get me my rings. Showing him that he loves them. He's going to take care of them. He's going to provide for them. He never wants his son to be able to leave his sight again without knowing the depth of the love that he has for his son And that's what he wants for you in this place today. If you feel far from him, if you feel like you have walked away from him, if you never even knew that he loves you despite everything that you've done and, and that's been done to you. He wants you to know. The word sinner gets thrown around very loosely. Everyone is a sinner. Every person in this place, front to back, side to side, on the stage, off the stage, we all mess up. But God proved his love for us by taking his one and only son, Jesus Christ, bringing him down to this earth, allowing him to experience earthly things, earthly pain like we have. He allowed him to endure things that he didn't need to endure so that his son can get hung on a cross and brutally murdered, stabbed in the side to take his final breath, to pay the punishment of sin which we all do. 
so that one day you could be here today and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, accept God into your heart, and to be accepted into the kingdom forever, the kingdom of heaven forever. If that's you in this place, here in Phoenixville, in Montgomeryville, uh, if you're ready and it's time and you want to come home and you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to ask you to do something right now. Take a little step of faith so that we can pray with you, so that you can give a sign that you're accepting him. With everybody's heads down and their eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to accept the Lord in your heart today. I just want to know. All right. Yeah, we'll do this now. I see you right here, man. I see your hand up. Listen, if you want to accept Jesus and come home, if you want to accept Jesus and come home, raise your hand right now. I mean, people are already doing it, man. Come home. I saw you over there, man. I see you. If you're in Montgomeryville, I'm going to give you a couple more moments to accept Jesus right now. Come home. Awesome. Hopefully, I can't see. Hopefully, there's people in Montgomeryville responding just like there was here. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to be here, God. God, thank you for this, the presence, your presence that you've given us in this building, Lord. Lord, thank you for the people that you have brought here, God, the people that, that, that have felt far from you, the people that have turned away from you, Lord. Lord, the people who, who haven't known your love for them, God, thank you for bringing them here, Lord. Thank you for, for them being able to experience you and to hear about you, Lord. Lord, we pray that those that have accepted you into their hearts today, Lord, that that they know you now, Lord. They've experienced you. They know that you're true. They know that you're real. And they know that you love them no matter who they are, what they've done, Lord. And we pray that your presence is with them as they continue to go throughout their, their days, Lord, and their lives, God. God, we thank you that you revealed your love to them today in this moment. Lord, we pray for... For the rest of this week as as we head out and and face challenges and battles and mountains and valleys, Lord. And we pray that that we're reminded that you're always with us and you allow things to happen to draw us nearer to you, Lord. And we love you and we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to be here today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.